What is the Podcast of Matrix? The Podcast of Matrix is your source for podcast media hosting. Get your entire podcast library hosted now at podcastermatrix.com. When you hear the words Friday the 13th, what do you think of? While most will recollect a certain impossible-to-be-killed masked individual bearing sharp weapons of all kinds, there's another Friday the 13th that deserves attention. In 1987, Friday the 13th, the series, created a rich tapestry of completely original storytelling. Based on a series of curious, devilishly enchanted objects that must be recovered and returned to the vault to prevent truly dark fates from befalling their owners. This is the detailed revisit and review of the adventures of their reacquisition. Episode by episode. You won't find any hockey masks here. This is the Curious Goods Podcast from Two Guys Talking Horror. The race to success isn't one that's easy. It's certainly not always clear. Being presented with easier ways to do things is supposed to be a good thing, right? Well, not in every case, especially in a case when one is gifted with the abilities from a father who has not only something else up his sleeve, but when dark magic is involved. It's time for the Curious Goods Podcast, a retelling, a revisit, and an always educational detailing of each and every episode of Friday the 13th, the series. This time, Season 3, Episode 11, Year of the Monkey. Greetings, everybody. I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts. Yeah, and I'm Nicholas J. Hearn, your other host. Nick, some quick housekeeping. A reminder of Alien. A quick reminder to all of you that our Alien fans, the original film from 1979, Nick and I are going to be recording that in the upcoming weeks, and we'd like your input to include into that episode of the perspective review of 1979's Alien, featuring Sigourney Weaver and a big, giant, black alien that scared the shit out of everybody when they saw it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, your classic monster-in-the-house movie, only the monster is an alien and the house is floating in space. Yeah, it, it, it's such a grand film, and I can't wait to visit it. And we're looking for your input, so go to our website over at CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. Give us your greatest alien stories that we can include inside that episode. Again, that's over at CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. Time to get to the retelling of this episode, Season 3, Episode 11. Year of the Monkey. Tokyo, 1945. A Japanese man in full ornamental garb is running in the wilderness. The imagery is black and white. That means this takes place in the past, Mike. At a dojo's fortress door and finds a woman inside dead. He embraces her. And then, a samurai warrior walks into the scene. The man holding the now-dead woman states, I'll get you for this. The samurai warrior retorts, My daughter died because she has no honor. Knowing that he can't live without the woman who is now dead, the man takes his own sword out and immediately commits seppuku. The man kills himself, and oddly, the three monkey statues sitting nearby begin to laugh maniacally. 
<laughs> Monkey statues aren't supposed to do that, Mike. Smash cut to modern day. In color. Now we're inside a more up-to-date dojo. Jack, Mickey, and Johnny are watching a room filled with kendo practitioners train. All are in black cage face garb, and two of them square off. As they complete their short battle, one removes his face shield and says, Always expect the unexpected. This is Mr. Musashi, and we'll learn more about him as this story unfolds. Jack walks up to Mr. Musashi and says hello, and then asks about a black antique tea set. The two of them settle down for some sushi and talk more about the tea set. During the discussion, Mr. Musashi refers to the magic that the tea set possesses, and then tells the tale of the tea set that turned tea into poison. And that's why we want to collect it. Jack explains the detail of their hunt, but also shares the details about the vault back at the Curious Good Shop, and hopes that the man will believe him. Believe me, Mr. Musashi, you have my word. Mr. Musashi chooses to give him the tea set, but first... A test of trust. Time for there to be a quest. So we're not getting the tea set now. It's time to find the Asaru, the monkey statues. You see, in the end, they represent evil, and those who fail their test are punished with death. The Tanaka clan has the statues now. Mr. Musashi wants the monkeys, and in exchange, he'll hand over the cursed tea set. Across the ocean, in Tokyo, an old aged man is taking in oxygen and is creating a detailed set of Japanese scrolls that he then signs with his mark. The man is preparing for visitors, three of them, but it's not our heroes, it's his children. The three children arrive, all in their late 20s and or 30s, and not surprisingly, they call the old man Father. They're curious to know what's going to happen with the company when the old man dies and the father is about to share its fate. The Tanaka Empire will be handed to all three children, but first, a test. It's a test fest inside this episode of Friday the 13th series. He provides them with three red velveted sacks and their very special gifts. The gifts he gives them are to be open when they arrive back at their respective homes. If the children fail the tests, then they will not be included in the old man's will. The three children begin talking about what needs to happen now, and only the daughter, Mishiko, is interested in doing the things that Papa wants done. Smash cut to the sprawling cityscape of New York City. The youngest son, Koji, arrives back in his New York-based office, and he opens the gift and... It's the Hear No Evil Monkey statue! He also opens up the ornate Japanese scroll that's included. Inside the scroll, his father tells him about learning to use better choices to make himself a better life. Yeah, that's nice. Koji crumples up the paper and throws it into the trash. Just then, Koji's secretary walks in, and the Hear No Evil Monkey takes his hands off his ears, and suddenly, the youngest Tanaka can hear his secretary's thoughts! Aha! The power of this monkey is revealed! Back at the Curious Good Shop, Mickey hasn't been able to find the monkeys on the manifest, and access to Tanaka is going to be rough. Time to contact his kids! Johnny's concerned that the man that they met, Mr. Musashi, from the dojo, 
is using them simply to acquire yet another cursed weapon. But look! Jack found another ancient Japanese scroll document on which they see the mark of Tanaka. How convenient that Uncle Lewis would be looking into cursed objects. Back inside the New York office, the hear no evil monkey is sharing more unspoken details of a man visiting with Koji Tanaka. And now he knows the best path to take for this business deal. What a deal. Or does he? Johnny Ventura shows up outside the New York Tanaka office and gets shut down by the secretary that is immune, apparently, to the Ventura smolder. Koji is calling his father to see if he should engage in the new buy that the monkey's power shared recently. His father offers only a riddle in return. Koji chooses to make the buy on his intuition and then hangs up the phone. As he does so, the hear no evil monkey begins to laugh. <laughs> <laughs> and as the monkey's laughs echo, Koji disappears in a bath of bright white light and is now standing in front of his father in Tokyo. It's magic. Father Tanaka confirms that the monkey has sent Koji to face him. You see, Koji took the easy path to revenues of hell and has failed the monkey's test. Koji has abused the power of the monkey and now must die by Sobako. Father Tanaka hands his son the sword that must be used to kill himself, but Koji refuses. In response, the gongs behind the father inside the room begin to clang wildly, and Koji crumbles to the floor in pain. Blood flowing from his eyes and ears. Meanwhile, back in New York, where Johnny's smolder has fizzled, Johnny is able to muscle his way into Tanaka's office, only to find a dead Koji! Father Tanaka's aged butler, apparently appearing out of nowhere, nabs the hear-no-evil monkey and disappears into the maze of office space inside the massive building. Asterisk. Over in the Hong Kong office, the eldest son, Hitoshi, is now unveiling the secrets of the see-no-evil monkey. Inside his Japanese scroll, he learns that this monkey can enable him to influence the way others perceive the truth. His feelings? instantly insulted. He shreds the document immediately. Back at the Curious Kid shop, the phone rings. It's Johnny. Johnny tells Jack that Koji is dead, died of cerebral hemorrhage. He also shares that he saw one of the monkey statues, but some old Japanese dude took it and mysteriously disappeared. They both wonder where Mickey is inside of her adventure. Speaking of which, Mickey arrives at the Hong Kong Tanaka office to talk with the eldest child, Hitoshi. When the two meet, he declares that he knows nothing about the monkeys and drives away. Mickey nabs a taxi and follows in hot pursuit. Halfway across the world, Jack visits with Musashi, and the two of them discover that the actual powers of the monkey may actually involve immortality. Back in Tokyo, Hitoshi is called down to inspect the newly imported and totally illegal shipment of ivory. So scandalous. Mickey arrives outside the Tanaka Depot just as Hitoshi climbs in the back of a Tanaka truck. As Hitoshi inspects the crates inside of the back of the Tanaka truck, which are filled to capacity with the aforementioned illegal ivory, Mickey sees another person approach him. It's an inspector! <gasps> No gadgets here, all business. And it's illegal business to be sure. 
The female inspector confronts Hitoshi about the illegal ivory, and without missing a beat, Hitoshi shares that these aren't actually pieces of ivory. You see, they're ornate legal plates of value, and nothing more. As he finishes his phrase, the see-no-evil monkey claps its hands and cackles. <laughs> the ivory becomes a plate. As this happens, Hitoshi is transported in a shower of bright white light to the awaiting chambers of the aged Father Tanaka. Tanaka pushes a very familiar box across the floor towards his son, and that requires that he now die with honor by killing himself. Hitoshi exclaims that he's too busy to be playing with an old man. Father Tanaka pleads with him to die with honor or die with great suffering. The young man takes out the sword and withdraws it from its sheath. He draws the sword to his father's throat. Suddenly, the gongs behind his father begin to clang once more. The fire in front of them ignites larger and veers into his son Hitoshi's eyes. He screams and Hitoshi is dead. Back inside the Tanaka truck in Tokyo, Mickey is trying to get the statue, but is conked on the head by the same older Japanese gentleman who has just judo-chopped her into unconsciousness. He nabs the see-no-evil monkey. Mickey is able to awaken just as the man disappears into the ether with the statue. Mickey calls Jack and tells him the whole thing. Just on the block from the Curious Kid shop, the final Tanaka child, Machiko, opens up the Speak No Evil Monkey gift, and Machiko learns from her father's ornate Japanese scroll that she must learn to speak for herself. She must choose her words carefully. She must speak only what she knows inside of her heart to be true. In Tokyo, old man Tanaka is assembling the series of monkeys as they're brought to him by his Japanese butler on his ornamental table as each arrive. Jack goes to visit with Mr. Musashi and wonders why he can't help. You see, he's forbidden to help. Musashi explains that old man Tanaka originally stole the monkeys from a temple in Burma. And that's how old man Tanaka got so wealthy. But get this, the wealth came with a price. This was six centuries ago, but hey, look. Jack looks at a series of photos that Musashi has provided. The patriarch, that man in the pictures in every single one, stretching back hundreds of years. How is that possible? It seems that there must be some immortality involved. The catch, though, he has to sacrifice his existing children to live on. Musashi then shares that he was sent to kill Tanaka many years ago. You mean that Musashi was the samurai in the beginning of this episode that found the dead girl, Mike? Yes! Musashi had committed to committing Sinju, lover's suicide. But while he did run himself through, he didn't end up killing himself. This is why he has been living this life of shame and defeat all these years. I understand your shame, but that doesn't mean that you should just sit idly by. Don't continue living your life with blood on your hands. Jack heads off to visit with the last remaining Tanaka, who is visiting with one of her employees who has, apparently, missed more than 30 days of work recently. You see, his wife and he are having issues. And as the man speaks, the speak-no-evil monkey tells her, Fire him! 
He's a liability. He's lying. He has a mistress. That's why he's been missing so much work. But she chooses to keep the man on. You're so stupid. In addition, she promises to never use the power of the monkey. After she states this, she screams and is then bathed in bright white light just like the other two children and disappears. Jack and Machiko's secretary rush into the room and as the secretary leaves, Jack is able to abscond with the Speak No Evil Monkey statue. The youngest female Tanaka arrives in front of her father who is now <gasps> young? Apparently, the deaths of his sons have somehow rejuvenated him. Zowie! Machiko has been able to avoid abusing the power of the see no evil monkey and has fulfilled her place in his will, and her father is proud. The monkeys can now serve Machiko. Father Tanaka provides his daughter his sword, and now she must kill him, as well as promise to kill her own children in the future if they don't abide by the powers of the monkey idols. It's time for Machiko to show her courage, but she can't do it. Instead, she kills herself. Tanaka cries out, No! As Machiko shares a sobbing apology. I'm sorry, father. Back at Musashi's dojo, Musashi chooses to unleash a sword. Time for some righteous justice! This is the sword that his lover killed herself with so many decades ago, and the one that he tried to kill himself with, but failed! Back at the Curious Kid shop, Jack has locked away the Speak No Evil Monkey inside the vault. But something is amiss inside the shop. Jack goes to investigate and finds an open door. Hello, is anyone there? Suddenly, the strange old Japanese man butler guy arrives looking for the monkey idol. Then he judo chops Jack. Oh, that hurt. Who crumples to the floor? The door to the shop magically closes and locks as the man moves deeper into the shop. Mickey and Johnny arrive back to the curious kid shop and find a ransom note. Father Tanaka wants the idol or Jack gets it. Gets what? That two of them surmise that Jack put the idol inside the vault, and they find it. But Mike, even though they figured out where the idol is, how are they going to get all the way to Tokyo? That's easy. They can use the power of the idol. But they note that the idol won't transport them while it's inside the vault. Ooh, the powers of magic. As they leave the vault, waiting at the door upstairs of the Curious Good Shop is Mr. Musashi. He wonders where Marshak-san is gone. And he's come to help retrieve the idols, but then the last monkey begins to laugh and cackle as all three of them disappear into a shower of now incredibly familiar bright white light. The three arrive in Tokyo, inside of the Tanaka compound. The three of them find Jack, whose life will be traded for the last monkey idol. Unfortunately, an agreement cannot be struck instantly. And as the death blow arrives to kill Jack, Mr. Musashi's sword blocks the death blow. <coughs> Mr. Musashi and the now strangely younger Tanaka face off. 
The battle ensues. It's amazing and action-ridden. During the battle, Musashi reveals to Tanaka that he is actually the young man that he encountered so many decades ago. The one his daughter killed herself for. As the two lunge at each other for a final death blow, Musashi drops his blade, thereby sacrificing himself to Tanaka. Having now killed an unarmed warrior, Tanaka has now evoked the wrath of the monkey idols. You have murdered a defenseless man. You have no honor. No, I did not know he dropped his sword. It was a trick. Jack tells Johnny to nab the monkey idols. And as Tanaka cries out, the three statues bamf our heroes away. And Tanaka dies in a flurry of flame and torment. No! Now, back at the sanctuary of the Curious Goods Shop, Johnny, Mickey, and Jack place all three monkey idols safely into the vault, making the featured items inside of this episode... Recovered! Every episode of Friday the 13th, the series has goods and bads. Let's get to the good. Everyone's got something to do. This was good. This is one of the probably, well... I think the best dished out episode of somebody's got something to do across the spectrum of not only the people that we know, but the people that we've only just met. Mm -hmm. There's not anybody that's introduced here that doesn't have something to do or a job. And I really enjoyed that as a piece of this episode. Well, right. I mean, you've got three idols, three locations. So everybody, all of our main characters have something to do. Yeah. Everybody should be doing something at the same time. And we get a little bit of that, but we don't get a lot of it. Not to mention the fact that some of our heroes have further to travel. Mm -hmm. You know, Mickey's got to go all the way to Tokyo while Johnny just has to travel to New York. And Jack conveniently gets to stay locally because it just so happens that, oh, the female Tanaka, her office is here where we're at. Totally convenient. Totally works out for the uh, for the plot of the story. And allows all three of our main characters to do something worthwhile in this episode. The legacy and concept of the idols. This was really good. I, I love it when just about any story will jump back in history and grab little bits and pieces and baubles of whatever. And then drag them fast forward into what is modern day. I, I find that terribly endearing. Mm-hmm. I also like the fact that we're dealing with something that did not have a tether to Lewis. Yeah. 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 That's uh, similar really to cool. uh, the butcher. Mm. We go back to that. That had nothing to do with a cursed item from the shop. That mm -hmm. was just a, an evil item. Yeah. It's also a real huge component of if and or when they choose to reboot the series that while I would love for it to be a focus on the cursed items of Uncle Lewis, mm. I mean, it's a, right, yeah. I, I would say that that is a hallmark of the show. It doesn't have to all be every mm. single item is cursed by yeah. Uncle Lewis and or that 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 deal struck with the devil mm -hmm. can be something else that just needs to be found and then secured away in a safe place. And the safe place happens to be the vault inside the curious good shop. Well, I, also I love show, that. Yeah. In a remake, it would also show as like, Oh, so there's 99 items that we have to retrieve, but then you find out, Oh, there's other cursed things out there. 
So our job's not done once those 99 items have been retrieved and put in the vault. Yeah. Oh, crap. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, in a remake, that would, would, oh, man. Isn't it interesting that that could also be, like, a way that they can make money? Because exactly what is it they're doing to make money? I mean, other than selling their $100 radios. The regular antiques. The (laughs) non-cursed antiques. Right. But I think everybody knows that antique shops don't make big old ton of money. And so if there was some sort of avenue, it also allows them to expand the cast if they needed to. Yeah. Where there could be a series of players that now go and help and extend and find them. The possibilities search. are definitely endless. I, I, I love it. I love it. And it's it's a component of what I hope we are really able to envision in your and my lifetimes. The practical effects of the idols. Well, we've already talked about the idols. I wanted to make sure that we took a really special moment here to talk about something that does not happen nowadays, which is practical effects for just about anything that you see on screen. And inside of this, you've got the idols. The idols are wonderfully used and showcased with practical effects inside this episode. Now don't, don't get me wrong. I appreciate them doing practical effects the way that they did, but, and I'm not going to lump this into a bad cause it's in the goods. It it was great that these idols actually moved and interacted with the performers. But, oof, those practical effects did not age well. No, I mean, uh, I, I, you know, they, they look like rubber toys. <laughs> they really do. But what was the intention? And I think the intentions pulled off. Yes, uh, yes, and, and absolutely. I, I would rather see them be done like this practically than some goony CGI that looks just El Crapo. Mm-hmm. Agreed. That's what we had as goods listed inside of this episode of Friday the 13th. We're curious to know what you thought was good. Let us know what you think by going over to our website. That's CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. Fill out the quick web form and tell us what you think. Every episode of Friday the 13th, the series, comes with its goods and its bads. We've covered the goods. Now let's take a look at the not-so-goods. Patchwork pacing. That's a good word for it. Uh, this is this is one of those instances where you've got three stories that technically should be happening simultaneously, mm-hmm. but then also not because one's taking place in Tokyo, one's taking place in New York, and one is taking place wherever the hell the Curious Good Shop is. Mm-hmm. I get the fact that it's like, okay, so let's tell this story first. Let's do one monkey at a time. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is that by doing that, the whole episode seems disjointed. Mm-hmm. And we keep jumping back and forth, back and forth to, hey, let's check in with Jack, who's still not really doing anything about his idol, even though he's the closest one to a Tanaka. Mm-hmm. Whereas Mickey is our second choice because she's the one going the furthest away. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the, the mm-hmm. globe trotting thing is the, uh, the, the, the problem. Had all of the kids come back to the States or had we had all of the kids running the company from one building where it was one location, we could have our three heroes all divide and conquer. But now we don't have to worry about the swallowing the logic pill of, so Mickey's halfway across the world and the one kid has already died. Wouldn't have Hitoshi been the first one to open up his 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 little gift because he was right there in Tokyo. Mm. I mean, he would have immediately 
left his father's office, gone back to the, gone back to his office and opened that up. So his would have been the first, but then well, maybe not. He's too busy. Uh, uh, well, okay, all right, well, all right, fine. Too busy. Better, he's just a dick. He didn't care. He's True. Like, in fact, I'm kind. Of, I'm actually kind of surprised that it made it back to the office with him, because <laughs> I hate admitting this because it was told me by several of the staffers of stars at conventions back in the day. I took the time to make custom caricatures for many stars inside the Star Trek universe. Mm-hmm. And I lived by it. I made two of them. I made one for me that I had them sign, and then I snapped a picture with them, with that one. Mm. And then I gave them one that was in a frame. And I'm like, they'll love me. They're going to share my content and do everything for me because they love me, because I've given them this ornate, awesome gift, right? Wrong. It all got tossed. Mm. Nobody took anything home. And that was crushing to me. (laughs) (laughs) because the the time and effort that I took to make those things, while I still have copies of them with their signatures on them and the photographs, I'm really happy I found out about that late in my making of those things (laughs) because that would have absolutely dashed and crushed me when I found that out. And it's not that they don't care, but typically they come with maybe an overnight bag. Mm. So what they don't have is they have no space to keep, you know, an 11 by 17 in a frame thing. To put in a bag someplace. They just, they don't have anywhere to put it. Right. And so I, I, I totally get it, but it was absolutely crushing to me to know that they just discarded it. If they didn't throw it directly in the trash, they likely just gave it to somebody that maybe would appreciate it. Maybe. <laughs> if we graph that onto what Hitoshi was doing because he was such a busy, literally business asshole, mm. I, I would I would squarely put it in that category where he's got to go take care of a variety of things and maybe threw it at his driver or something and say, here, I don't care. Ding. Give this to your kids. Wouldn't that have been interesting? Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, interesting, but then, you know, where's the story? <laughs> how, do, how, does, how does he get involved and how do we get the, the speak no evil monkey? Right. Uh, again, it's, it's, there, there's a lot of things that could have been done with this, mm-hmm. but I think because there are three idols and three different locations where everybody has to be there is the logic pill that you just have to swallow to bypass all of the weird pacing issues yeah but those things could have been handled if time crunch sandwich and what i'm referring to here is this would have been a perfect opportunity to do a two-parter Mm. Because there is mm. so much in this episode. Yeah, I agree with that. Where these characters are concerned, where mm-hmm. their family lineage is concerned. Yeah. Where the travel I mean, the traveling right there, you you would be able to do all of this globe trotting and it would make sense because you're stretching it out. Mm-hmm. One thing that I I disliked about this episode is that I understand the cultural need for honor. I totally get that. But Tanaka, old man Tanaka, or father Tanaka, as we refer to him, I never really got any kind of remorse over what he was doing. I understood he had to keep doing it or he would suffer a horrible death. And he he always hoped for the best for his children because then he would be released. But I never got that that sense of, oh, I'm I'm tired and I just want this to end. Mm. And I just want one of my kids to be worthy enough to take up this mantle. Mm. But then... Come on, why would you want your child 
to take up this burden of dealing with these idols and then living for centuries and having to watch their his his kids either kill themselves or die horribly. Yeah. Well, there was none of that where yeah. the Tanaka, the the patriarch Tanaka character, was involved. Yeah, and see, I, I think you can almost feed that back in on itself. Is that he knew? He, but I would love to see that because he knew it. It wasn't shown. Right, but I would love to see that the weight of the centuries, yeah. and and because we were shoving this into a a forty three minute mm-hmm. package. Mm-hmm. A lot of stuff got got left out. Yeah, this also spills into something else that we we actually didn't put on the list, but I meant to, which is a piece of the Tanaka Ness here, and it's where I would have loved if they'd have used an old man actor mm. rather than a younged up version of the guy that's going to be younger. You can look at his eyebrows in particular, and it's 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 kind of clear that they're going to young him up soon. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't an it wasn't an instant giveaway, but as we started understanding more about the immortality piece of the episode, you can look at the visits back to Tanaka and see that clearly super thick colored eyebrows. You can you can see that. Mm-hmm. You yeah. can see that. Yeah. Uh, obviously, that would have meant more money, though, because you got to go grab another actor. Well, true. And I think you probably could have done something a little bit more interesting had you had two episodes to play with because mm-hmm. it's like after the end after the death of the mm-hmm. first son it's like okay so i don't need the oxygen anymore take it away then after yeah, the death stair of, steps of that right yeah and then I after the death that. of the second son it's just like all right so the gray is gone and i'm looking all right just a couple of wrinkles and, here. and what about the kids noticing that as they come back and visit that would have been very interesting too exactly we didn't get that we didn't get we that, didn't that at all any of them i mean hell we should have gotten some sort of reaction from machiko because she gets to see her father almost completely, you know, completely rejuvenated. rejuvenated. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's like, what, what? and the, the whole concept of just that meeting between the two of them, she is worthy. Mm-hmm. That scene is over so quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas well, it makes her sacrifice not a sacrifice. Exactly. It's, it's like, okay, this is just I a stair step in the script. Yes. I agree with that. And, and being able to have been able to stretch that out, I think would have yes. helped out enormously. Yeah. Cultural inaccuracies. I'm not going to nitpick here like I normally would. (laughs) I am just going to say this. It was a different time. So if you wanted to learn information about a culture or a people, you had to go down to a place called the library (laughs) and check out some books or maybe even rent some movies and get only half accurate information or ask somebody that was in knowledge there you go do that as well Mm -hmm. i i i have a feeling after watching this episode that the writers were like you know what i grew up loving kung fu movies and i know enough about japanese culture to be able to 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 swing this together well no you don't because not only was there so much mixing of asian culture not japanese there was also Chinese culture involved. It was all over the board. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to do something that is culturally specific, you can't be all over the board. Mm-hmm. So I put this in a bad because shame on the writers for not going and checking out a handful of books so that they can make sure that they were being culturally accurate. Those were the things that we thought needed a little bit of work inside this episode of Friday the 13th, the series. 
but we want to know what you thought. Needed a little spit and polish in this episode? Head on over to our website, that's CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. Fill out the web form and tell us what you thought was bad. It's time to take a break here during the Curious Kids Podcast. We will be right back. Wouldn't it be cool if your advertising could last forever? It can. With perpetual advertising, here's how it works. Magazine, radio, and television ads are efforts that people might see or hear once, and then they're lost forever. Perpetual advertising provides you with the chance for repeat exposure and replayability weeks, months, even years after it's originally inserted inside a podcast. So even if your advertising is included in a podcast years ago, those efforts are still impactful, providing you with true return on investment, real impact, thanks to perpetual advertising. Are you ready to change the way you and your company or organization advertises? Find out more and launch a unique perpetual advertising effort now by visiting twoguystalking.com forward slash sponsors. In today's world, time is everything. When editing podcasts, (laughs) you know as well as I do, time flies. But it's not the good kind of time flying. It's the kind of time that eats a hole in your pocket. Reclaim the time you lose when you edit your podcast. Connect with The Editor Core. The Editor Core is a group of seasoned, experienced podcast editors that'll get your editing done and out the door. Use your reclaimed time to make more content. Make your podcast soar with The Editor Core. EditorCore.com. That's EditorCore.com. This is John D. LeMay, and you're listening to the Curious Goods Podcast from Two Guys Talking Horror. Thought about a career in voiceover? Need a great, cost-effective on-hold message for your organization or business? Don't know where to start? Check out The Voice Farm, your one-stop shop for voiceover needs. Check it out now by accessing The Voice Farm at voicefarmers.com see what difference can be made with a company that is truly outside the box from the voice box voicefarmers.com that's voicefarmers.com everyone welcome back to the curious kids podcast a retelling a revisit and an always educational detailing of each and every episode of friday the 13th the series this time, Season 3, Episode 11. Year of the Monkey. Every time we come back from break, it's time for Nick and I to share our manifest moments. The manifest moments are where Nick and I find either an actor's portrayal, a storytelling element that impressed us, or something else that tripped our collective review night. Fantastic. Nick, what do you got? Mike, for this episode, my manifest moment has got to be... The Musashi twist. Mm. Mm. I actually was blown away when Musashi reveals that he was actually the young warrior sent to take down Tanaka and retrieve the idols at the beginning of the episode when we when we start. Uh, it's when you see somebody grab a, a blade and impale themselves on it, you you pretty much think, oh, 
Well, they're dead. Dunsky. Right. Yeah, that's it, well, that's the way it's kind of been portrayed in every feature exactly. film and television. Because you don't show. you don't mess that one up. Yeah. And the fact that we actually get a character that failed at that probably the the easiest thing one could probably do is if you want to kill yourself you can successfully kill yourself it's not really that hard and yet this guy fails and fails miserably to where we get this great revelation that because i failed to retrieve the idols i failed to defeat tanaka i failed to kill myself because of my failures and join my love in the afterlife I, I I can do I can never pick up a sword again. I will live this humble life and I will I will train people, I will give my skills to others, but other than that, I can do no I, I can't interfere with any of this Tanaka business. Mm-hmm. And Jack is a very persuasive guy. So it does make sense that, you know, Mr. M dusts off the old katana and comes to uh, comes to the rescue with a plan. To sacrifice himself to allow our heroes to be able to fulfill what needs to be done. And I loved the fact that I did not see that twist coming. And that is my manifest moment. I think that's a great one. I'm going to piggyback on the you got to be kidding me moments inside the episode. Okay. And throw on with the daughter kills herself. I didn't see that one coming. Mm. Not, Not in a million years would... You know, I, I'm trying to imagine if somebody were to walk up to me and go, look, you can have this magical power. However, I've got some bad news. <laughs> and so the fix is to kill yourself. I'd have trouble doing that. I mean, like, well, I mean, the, what would you rather do? Kill your father or kill yourself? I'd rather not do either. Well, yeah, but there is no choice. Why don't we solicit Jack and maybe try and find some <laughs> magic, something, something else. The, 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 and the, you might be able to do that had it been a two-part episode <laughs> and Jack actually have a face-to-face well, conversation. There you go. There you go. In fact, these can even be revisited, and that is the, that's the conundrum, mm. that somehow they get it back out in the open, and now they've got to be found, and there's got to be a solution, and that is the solution, where there's something else. There's a piece of magic that can be used to either cancel or neutralize the monkeys or something. Something that, that equals you don't have to have a piece of your clan and or yourself kill yourself, and you can just have a nice life, and your children can have nice lives and live on and provide legacy, rather than everybody's got to get dead, or you get to live on forever and lose all those around you. To quote that, one of the greatest Starfleet captains of all, I don't believe in a no-win scenario. Yeah, no, and I'm, I'm so with that, in that there is a way. Mm-hmm. They're somehow life will find a way to grab another <laughs> wonderful movie quote. And I, that again, her death took me jerked the wheel completely because I did not anticipate that, especially she's so young. And you know, the, the, as much as you and I think we could just go grab a katana and kill ourselves. I'm not saying that's a high skill set thing, but I mean, the guy screwed it up and he was a samurai. Right. So, Nobody checked her pulse, by the way. <laughs> I mean, as long as we're picking, why not? But anyway, that, that is my manifest moment. That's where we ask you guys, what struck you as your manifest moment inside this episode? Let us know what you think by going over to our website. That's CuriousKidsPodcast.com. Fill out the quick web form and tell us what you think. 
Ah, vocabulary. The words that make Mike and Nick brain go round inside the Curious Goods podcast. We've got a couple to share inside this episode. The first is... Legacy. Legacy, according to our friends over at Merriam-Webster, is something transmitted or received from an ancestor or predecessor from the past. And this is kind of what I'm referring to. When I think of legacy, I think of my podcasts that I've done over the course of now almost 17 years, from the time where there was no podcasts to making podcasts to now, that instantly provide a legacy of me, which I guess this is. I was referring specifically to the things that you leave behind. I, I guess that's what it's referring to here. But it's one of the most important parts of what we're seeing inside this episode where it's something being handed down. The difference is that, especially in Machiko's particular case, she doesn't want any part of it. Uh-huh. And uh, that, that's something very interesting. It also goes against grain, because usually when somebody dies or you know is going to die, it's when everybody comes out of the woodwork and goes, wait a minute, what's in it for me? And so again, being able to go against grain, against legacy, is a very interesting call for this episode. The second word we have inside this episode is... Immortal. Again, thank you to our friends over at Merriam-Webster. Immortal is described as exempt from death. Very interesting here. And again, it was a piece that I don't think was emphasized. It was emphasized. It was shown, but it wasn't emphasized inside the episode that right. like if he's going to get killed anyway, what difference does it make how young he is? So I, I, I thought that was very interesting inside this episode. And really, it's kind of an, it's kind of a fascination. I kind of think of other lines of entertainment that are drawing on immortality. Uh, the one that rises to top of the heap instantly is Highlander, mm-hmm. which is there can be only one and you get to live on forever as all the people around you die, which is an incredibly sad thought, unless you're kind of living on forever. So it's, it, it's, it's something that is always talked about inside of storytelling. And it's mentioned inside this episode. This episode was packed with so much. What vocabulary struck you inside this episode? Let us know by going over to our website. That's CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. Fill out the quick web form and tell us what you thought. Episode rating. Time for the rating inside this episode of the Curious Goods Podcast. The scale works thusly. A 10 is on top of the list. Being able to live out your lives naturally with honor. A 1 is on the bottom of the heap. Gong clanging fiery death. I'd no thank you so much. Everything starts at a 7 as an average. The numbers go up with positives. The numbers go down with negatives. And Nick, there are no halvesies. Nick, what have you got? One of the things that I admire about this show is its ability to tell different types of stories and and not even just, you know, stories that have different cultural backgrounds mm-hmm. associated to them, just different types of stories. Yeah. At its center, this was a story about a family. Mm-hmm. It was a story about honor. Mm-hmm. It was a story about second chances. And when you boil all of that stuff down to just those three really basic parts, this is an excellent episode. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, all of the other stuff gets in its way, which then 
forms a couple of uh, stutters and uh, disbelief moments. You know how good this show can be, and you're wanting more. You know you can get more, but they're not giving it to you. And that was my problem with this episode. I know I wanted more. I know they could have given me more, but they decided not to. But I'm not going to blame anybody for it. Those are just my personal feelings. So with that being said, even though I would love to say that this was a near-perfect episode, I can't rate this anything but an 8. This episode's able to touch on just about every touchstone that I want from the not-mentioned-again curse tea set, whoops, <laughs> to... I'm sure they broke into the dojo and got and it. And just took whatever they wanted, right? Because, like, who's going to prevent it? To the objects that have nothing to do with anything, but they're absolutely objects that need to be corralled. To the globe-trotting aspects, to the while sometimes filled with inaccuracies, the sharing of a variety of cultural things inside of the episode to items that feature a great deal of lore and legacy, regardless of who they are actually attached to that drive the story. And those equal a ton of positives inside of this so much so that I think they actually trump what happens inside of the negatives I've got to rate this higher than you. I give it a nine. That's where we ask you guys, what did you rate this episode? Season three, episode 11. Year of the monkey. Tell us what your monkey looked like inside of this episode by going over to our website. That's curiouskidspodcast.com. Fill out the quick web form. Tell us what you think. Mm, The end of yet another episode of the Curious Goods Podcast. In the books. Until next time, I'm... Wilkerson! You have dishonored me by rating this episode something different than me. I challenge you to a duel. Yeah, no thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Curious Goods Podcast. We are always interested in learning what you remember about these enchanted items and their tales of reacquisition. Connect with us immediately at CuriousGoodsPodcast.com to share your treasured information. Until the next artifact reveals itself, the vault is now closed. Time to get to the retelling of this episode, Season 3, Episode 11. Year of the Monkey. Do it again, I was smacking my lips, sorry. Don't smack your lips. The final Tanaka child, Machiko. Machiko? (laughs) Hey, look! Jack looks at his series picture. That's great podcasting right there. Hey, look. Hey, look at this. Hey, look! Oh, this God. is horrible podcasting. You can't look. But but I was killing Nazis. I'm afraid of heights. That's my secret shame.
<laughs> I must be poor, rendered unconscious when I fly. I drink a lot of scotch. <laughs>